kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday night. It's right about 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And it's another edition of Auntie Nanny. Um, And with me this evening, to start everything off with, is the amazing Alex Clark. Hello. Hi, Alex. How are you? <laughs> um, I'm the finishing touches on this list here. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let me just uh, welcome to the CASA update for the week of 420 2015. Um, it's another busy week. There were a lot of calls to action that went out this week. By the way, amazing job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can hunt stuff down. I just don't have your way with words. I don't know how you do it. And you keep doing it. So kudos to you and thank you so much for that. Um, so what would you like to start off with? Um, well, I guess the uh, item of critical importance uh, will probably be coming out from us in the next day or so. Um the uh, House Bill 1432, which is that uh, pack of ridiculous regulations on the vapor industry in Indiana, uh, is expected to be transmitted to the governor this week, uh, soon, I believe. Uh, So we are a part of, I believe, what will be an organized effort to... um, encourage the governor to veto this bill. Um, uh, I see that uh, Hoosier Vapors has already issued their call to action. Um, Same thing, just veto the bill. So uh, I I believe I'm going to be working on finishing touches for that this evening. Um, And we can expect to release that either tomorrow or the next day. Uh, But everybody should have that on their radar. Okay. And uh, next, there is, I I believe, I was watching Alex Carlson on Facebook and Twitter. Um, 
there is a hearing going on right now in Minnesota. Um, I, I, sorry, but this isn't really going to be um, listened to probably except for tomorrow. But uh, so by then it'll be dated information. But um, currently Monday, April 20th, there is a hearing um, in uh, Minnesota. They are entertaining a, it's sort of an omnibus uh, budget bill. It's HF 848. Okay. And what has happened is uh, uh, the author or chief sponsor, whatever, of one of these vapor tax bills right. uh, ha- has taken the language from that bill and has sort of inserted it as part of an amendment to HF 848, um, which is sort of a, it's kind of a backhanded way to do this because this budget bill is something that needs to pass. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that there are other things in this amendment that are probably okay. Um, so, you know, directing people to amend an amendment to a bill is a little bit difficult, but um, uh, that's sort of what needs to happen is that all of this tax language for uh, vapor products, actually it's just, it's just the e-liquid. Right. It would, it would impose uh, 30 cents per milliliter on oh. nicotine, nicotine containing e-liquid. My God. That's which, which how I understand it is actually a substantial tax hike compared to what yeah. they're paying now. We say, I, I've always sort of misunderstood what the tax actually is in Minnesota. Uh, from how I understand it now, it's 95% wholesale tax on the nicotine contained in the product. Okay. So it's not a per milliliter. It's not a 95% wholesale tax on the consumable material. It's okay. just on the nicotine contained in the e-liquid. Um, so this 30 cent per milliliter tax is 30 cents per milliliter of consumable material, which is that's yes. So that's, that's a much bigger tax than what they're currently paying. Well, right. And they, they're going to be paying that tax on top of what they're already paying. One assumes, uh, no, it's not worded that way. Uh, it's, huh. so it would repeal the other tax. It wouldn't really repeal it. It just it, this specifies it within the code as being. Um, I, I'm, I, I know that someone from Minnesota could definitely speak with a lot more authority on this than I can. Um, okay. I just, as far as I understand it, uh, the, 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 the takeaway from this is that it is a substantial tax increase. Uh, yeah, that's, and, uh, and, and should absolutely be fought. Well, if you're buying a 30 milliliter bottle, that's nine dollars. Correct. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of money. That's that's a lot of money, um, and that's yeah. That's if it contains nicotine. So even if you're in the three milligram per milliliter range, um, you're paying the same as as somebody vaping more nicotine. Um, yeah. But uh, I believe that the zero milligram e liquid might not be taxed. So, um, again, 
it's a very, you know, watching lawmakers try to make sense of this stuff is, is a little bit, uh, well, that's because it does, it doesn't make sense. Ostensibly, um, these taxes on products that are ostensibly harmful to people are supposed to be to stop them from using them. So why would you want somebody to stop using a low risk alternative? Lower risk alternative makes no sense. Yeah. Although politicians aren't famous for making sense either. So. <laughs> no. um, so also in Minnesota, uh, the, the, well, this language comes from HF 2182. Okay. So uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what the status of that bill is, but it has a companion bill in the Senate. That's SF 2025. Okay. Um, and there was a hearing held on the 16th. Uh, I am, again, not really doing my duty to the, the full extent here. Uh, I don't have any update on the conclusion of that hearing. But suffice to say, uh, those two bills exist and are a huge threat. Um, and you can find the details on our blog. Um, moving along, uh, the next thing that I have a date for is uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, I would encourage everyone that has a friend in Washington, D.C., uh, knows a vendor in Washington, D.C., uh, to reach out to those people and try to get them plugged into this call to action. We don't have a lot of members in D.C. When we started this, we had 30. Uh, a day or two later, we had 36. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a slow crawl to get participation up. Um, and this, this is part of the mayor's 2016 budget proposal. What they're intending to do is include e-cigarettes in the other tobacco products tax, uh, which I believe... They are also raising, I might be getting that confused with some other legislation. Um, again, suffice to say, this is, this is a 75 or 70% wholesale tax on vapor products. Oh, everybody's looking to vapors to make up that shortfall in the budgets, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, even if they do pass these things, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> Uh, they're going to find out the hard way. I think much like Philadelphia has found out with their $2 a pack cigarette tax, uh, people are just going to shop somewhere else. Yep. And so now, now you've lost your sales tax revenue. Mm-hmm. You're potentially losing jobs. Um, yeah. you know, in the case of convenience stores, they're losing secondary and tertiary sales mm-hmm. that, uh, happen when people come in shopping for these products. So, yep. you know, Jacking up the taxes on these things doesn't really bring in as much revenue as you as you you know cross your fingers and hope. Um, there's a lot of apparently wishful thinking is a is a qualification for being a lawmaker. Um, so uh, yeah, and I, I did want to look and see. I'm not exactly sure if the 75 or 70 percent wholesale tax applies to devices as well. Um, but that's uh, <laughs> certainly something that that wouldn't surprise me well, um, i'm 
I'm kind of surprised nobody's tried to tax Canthal yet. Well, you know, if you sell it in a little baggie that says this wire is for your e-cigarette, um, <laughs> I, you know, technically you're selling a component part, which in some states that would that would uh, that would be included in some of these taxes we're seeing proposed. Probably, yeah. Um, so yeah. So again, anybody that has friends and family in D.C., uh, please try to get them plugged in and engaged in this. Uh, we need we need all the people we can get, and that is actually going to be there. There are several hearings, a budget thing. So there are multiple hearings usually for budget proposals. And uh, we have been told that May 8th, um, I think that's a, yeah, that's a Friday. So Friday, May 8th at 10 a.m., uh, they will be meeting in the council chambers, room 500. Uh, and that would be the optimal time for people to come and voice your opposition to including vapor products in the city's other tobacco products tax, which is 70%. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, see another one that has had a hearing, uh, had a hearing last week that unfortunately I don't have an update on was Alaska. Um, I, I can't remember. I think one, did both of these have a hearing. Um, SB one had a hearing and um, there was a difference between these two. Um, there's SB1 and SB40. Okay. And SB1 is the one that expands the existing smoking laws in Alaska. Um, I, I remember this when I, this is one of the early ones that we put out. Um, Apparently, Alaska's smoking laws are not sort of a blanket ban everywhere. Um, there, it seems like uh, you know, some some bars, perhaps restaurants and retail establishments, can allow smoking, um, but SB one would take away those options for people. Um, so again, I, I believe that is owed an update at some point. But just so people know, the hearing was held last week. <sighs> and then uh, moving right along here, um, Louisiana, uh, House Bill 427 would enact a five cent per milliliter tax on e-liquid. Um, and this would also double the wholesale tax on smokeless tobacco from 20% to 40%. Um, and there is another bill, House Bill 252, same Great five cent per milliliter tax, but with a lower tax on smokeless tobacco. So I guess you could say they're sort of hedging their bets there. Um, if they won't take the forty percent, maybe they'll take the thirty. Uh, so this is—I uh, I don't know about both of these bills. I—I I, I think both of these bills have been assigned to the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, it's actually relatively easy to sign up for alerts on committee hearings in Louisiana. So I would recommend anybody in Louisiana that wants to follow this, you can very easily go 
to the Louisiana legislature page, and um, I, I, I get updates from Louisiana every day, um, and it's free. Uh, so just keep your, keep an eye out for announcements from the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, and of course, in the meantime, while waiting for that update, you can take action and send an email from our call to action. <sighs> so that's all we have on our list. Um, but uh, there is some activity in New York State. Um, I think we got a pair of bills, one from the Senate, one from the Assembly. Um, everybody's favorite senator from the state of New York, Senator Camp Hannon, is uh, moving a bill, uh, SB 2202, which would, uh, I believe, prohibit vaping where smoking is currently banned. Um, and he has actually... Uh, that that bill has magically ended up in a committee that he is the chair of, uh, and so shocking. Yeah, uh, that would be the Senate Health Committee, right. and uh, that has a meeting on Wednesday. Um, it's I, I think we're sort of a little indifferent uh, as far as putting something out on this. Um, I, I, I don't see why we wouldn't. Uh, I can certainly sew this up tonight. I have all the pieces in place, but uh, the likelihood of this getting passed through this committee is actually very high, no matter what anybody does. Um, New York, I think, demonstrated this last year that a lot these committee hearings are usually by, you know, if you're going to test, it's testimony by uh, invitation only. And so they'll, they, last year we watched, I think, one, representative from the like the national convenience stores association um and he actually put up a pretty good fight but it was you know him against four other people that were absolutely opposed to uh vaping um so it's it's a pretty depressing committee hearing if anybody cares to watch it um but uh again i i, I don't uh, i personally don't see an issue with putting out a call to action for this so um be on the lookout for that um, potentially happening in the next day or two. Um, but yeah, just be aware that SB 2202 and AB 5955, they're essentially the same bill in different houses. Uh, those are on the move in New York State. <laughs> yeah. New York, <sighs> dysfunctional place. Yeah. Very dysfunctional. And I'm gonna I'm gonna spare Julie all of the uh, local alert stuff. Actually, <laughs> I, I have fallen behind on getting these out. Some of them are uh, just a little bit difficult to wrap my head around. Um, but uh, I, I would like to thank you and uh, one of our volunteers for for helping out and putting together some of the contact information, which will undoubtedly be useful down the line. Um, uh, I believe the Tobacco-Free Baseball Act, a sort of a, an incarnation <laughs> of it, has made its way to the San Francisco City Council. Um, and much like every other THR type of discussion in San Francisco, it's very difficult to... Um, it, it's honestly difficult for me to even be motivated to, 
to put something out for that because I know that you're essentially talking to a brick wall there. And they, they may even have a guest appearance by Stanton Glantz at this hearing. Uh, they, they usually do. I guess he's sort of right around the corner. He can, he can, he can waddle into that testimony. Um, <laughs> he can waddle in. You can throw a rock at him. Yeah. Um, don't, don't throw rocks at Stanton yeah, Don't, don't, uh, don't assault people. That's not something we advocate for. Um, be safe. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I've got. Uh, and then of course we do have our, we did release our, uh, second call to action on the FDA's, uh, air quotes workshop (laughs) sessions. Um, and, uh, I do believe that some other people have, have taken it, uh, upon themselves to work out some kind of how to's on this. I haven't seen any of them. Um, but, uh, it's the same kind of, uh, format as before, uh, just a slightly different, um, uh, uh, topic. Um, there is a simple submission to this, uh, which is uh, more kind of your story, a little bit more personal um, and very basic. Um, and then uh, there is an optional addition, additional submission, um, which gets a little bit, a lot more actually <laughs> into sort of substantial, uh, more details on uh, health improvements um, what your dependence on nicotine has, has been, has that increased or lessened over time? Uh, I know for myself, sometimes I forget to vape, which is really weird because I never <laughs> forgot to smoke. Right. Um, and, uh, some other very personal details that, um, people, uh, should consider. Is there somebody cleaning a grill? Something? <laughs> <laughs> I think someone's cleaning a grill. <laughs> Um, so, uh, and, uh, that's that. And then, uh, of course the, 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 so everything up at the bottom here, submit your comment. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's something for everything in this. Uh, if you want to do something quickly, part a is for you. Um, if you would really like to offer a lot more details to the FDA, please take a look at part B and uh give them the what for um so yeah yeah so what's i'm not going to ask you what's coming up for next week i I don't want to (laughs) know did i not um no you you did you did did that yeah yeah i can recap that (laughs) oh no oh no no (laughs) um and then, of course, there is the obligatory. I don't know. I, we, you know, this is this is a rolling nightmare here. Um, for as prepared as we may seem, um, there's just man, there's all kinds of horrible stuff waiting in the wings. Uh, it always that, that feels just like don't know about yet. It always feels like there's a bear trap waiting to snap on your leg. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's just always something uh, new and exciting and and horrible legislative wise. So yeah. Given the situation, I'm sort of amazed that, you know, I, I think our list of things to do is actually, it is relatively short. 
but uh, it doesn't feel like that ever. Whenever I look at the long list of what's sort of floating out there that may or may not be moving, may or may not be a threat, um, it, it is pretty overwhelming. But when you boil it all down, uh, what we need to focus on today and tomorrow is actually a pretty short list. And I'm not going to comment on Wednesday because that's just, that's crystal ball territory. Kind of is. Every yeah. day is kind of, every day is just new and exciting. So, um, thank you, Alex. I, um, thank you for coming on and, and thank you for talking to us and thank you for putting in all the work you put in. Um, just thank you. Um, Likewise, thank you. I don't do anything. Um, I just I just ferret stuff out. That's what I'm good at. Uh, That's good. Yeah. Um, so please um, submit your testimonials to testimonials at kasa.org. Um, Join us on Facebook on the We Are CASA page or the official CASA Facebook page on Twitter, Instagram, Google Plus. We are CASA Media. So come join us. And none of that is a substitution for joining CASA. Please sign up and join us so that we can give you the tools to advocate for yourself when things come up. Um. Thank you for joining us this evening, Alex. Um, go and do something normal. I'll try. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Have a great evening. Likewise. See you. Thank you. Bye. Okay, Jeannie, you just got back from Bash. How was it? Oh, we're having a few problems with the call. Skype's playing up. Oh, okay. So Jimmy got disconnected. <laughs> oh no. Um so last week I was talking about having to give my cat a pill. I don't know if I mentioned that on the air. <laughs> <laughs> um it's 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 pretty awful um having to pill a cat. Um if you've never tried it, I don't recommend you do, but uh anyway, so I used to be a veterinary technician. Not many people know that about me. It's it's not really, um, it's not really part of anything important. But I got really sick of chasing the poor cat around, trying to stuff a pill down his throat. So I started grinding the medicine up, which it's safe to do, and mixing it in with baby food and wiping it on his paws. We now call my cat Captain Turkey Paws. <laughs> <laughs> He's not happy with us, but at least we're not wrestling him and trying to shove a pill down his throat. So some medicines you can actually do that with a cat, and um, I found one, so yay me. I don't have to uh, risk my life and limbs giving my cat a pill anymore. Okay. So you've seen everything in the horrible list of stories. Have you got a favorite? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay. play favorites. Okay. Uh, I think I'll start with this one then. From the nation. We spend $600 billion a year on defense, but couldn't stop a mailman from landing his gyrocopter on the Capitol lawn. This is from a very leftist publication. 
A member of a bomb squad approaches a gyrocopter after it landed on the west lawn of the Capitol in Washington on April 15th. Um, yeah, I just read the caption for a photo. Fantastic. The U.S. military machine spends around $600 billion a year on national defense, but somehow it couldn't stop a Florida mailman, of course, Florida, from landing his airborne protest right on the Capitol lawn. Doug Hughes arrived in a slow-moving, lightweight gyrocopter that he flew right past all the elaborate checkpoints and high-tech security monitors. His message to members of Congress, you and your institution are utterly corrupted by political money, and we, the people, are coming after you. I'm just delivering the mail, the Florida postal worker said with a touch of whimsical humor. This isn't my regular route. The Guardians of National Security said they saw him coming on their radar screens, but thought he was probably a flock of geese. Stand-up comics should have fun with that. But I expect Hughes' imaginative assault on politics as usual will scare the crap out of a lot of Washington politicians. They've spent trillions to deploy a mighty military and awesome weaponry to protect American citizens from hostile foreigners. But how do politicians protect themselves from hostile American citizens? Hughes is not a dangerous fruitcake. In fact, he is a small-D Democratic idealist who went out of his way to alert the authorities in advance of his so-called freedom flight. He shared his plans online and with his local newspaper, the Tampa Bay Times, which wrote about his ambitions and kept the police informed. Hughes may be naive or even delusional, but he actually believes citizens can take back their government and drive off the moneyed interests that have captured congressional politics. Because we the people own Congress, says the website called the Democracy Club, where Hughes and others post their critiques. His arguments are rational, and he addresses them not to ideological radicals, but to moderates, united by faith in principles of democracy. A populist fever is rising in the land. This may scare off the regular politicians, but I have seen and heard from many other discontented citizens plowing, plowing similar furrows. I admire them. They are trying to rediscover how people act like citizens. They are conscientiously attempting, to att- attempting various approaches. They often make common cause with more established thinker and activists like legal scholar Lawrence Lessing, who founded Root Strikers to battle money influence and get at the roots of democratic decay, or Trevor Potter, the former chair of the Federal Elections Commission, who is proposing a model reform measure, the American Anti-Corruption Act, or Wolf Pack, which is pushing in many states to promote a constitutional amendment banning corporate money from elections. The quality of most of the homegrown reformers seem to share is a deep skepticism towards both political parties. Democrats and Republicans have adapted themselves to the necessities of big money politics and neither shows much appetite for deep reform. Indeed, a potential convergence of the left and the right is probably more possible among rank and file voters at the grassroots. For all their angry indifference, Tea Party adherents and working class Democrats share many of the same enemies and same frustrated yearnings. Doug Hughes, for instance, is clearly on the liberal side of the spectrum, but many right wing conservatives would be comfortable with his critiques. The evidence of corruption, he argues, is obvious. The fact that nearly half of the retired members of Congress are substantially employed as lobbyists, that is, getting paid big salaries for voting right as senators or representatives. 
Thus, they are participating in legalized, institutionalized bribery, he charges. Many right-wingers would also agree with Hughes about the complicity of the major media. I think there's an alliance between the national media and supporters of the corrupt status quo, Hughes wrote. That's the political parties and the ad money out that they command and the election industry, which runs 365 days a year. The national media has sold out. The risk in the rising populist temperament is that some will take their anger to extremes and some people will get hurt or worse. Doug Hughes may make sure that he is not injuring anyone with his gyrocopter antics, but the same techniques could be used to create bloodshed and mayhem, a domestic front for terrorism. I really wish they wouldn't write this shit. I suspect congressional leaders are pondering these possibilities right now and will take stronger security measures to protect senators and their representatives and their staffs. The trouble is fear-driven protections that is justified for public officials can amount to shrinking free expression and public space for angry citizens. History tells us that once an ugly cycle of repression gets underway, it can feed a dangerous hostility between the governors and the governed. Doug Hughes was arrested, as he expected he would be, but he said this would not dampen his enthusiasm for small-D democratic agitation. I see this as my life's work, Hughes said beforehand, assuming the flight doesn't kill me and I don't get a lengthy prison term. I I don't... I don't know. Well, he's right in a way. Uh, Yeah. But politicians need to learn. It doesn't matter how much they spend on security. If somebody (laughs) wants to get at them, they will. You know, there really is always that. Yeah. Um, They're just using... As you say, they're just using fear to crack down on freedoms. It's got nothing to do with protection. Well, it if never somebody has. Wants to, if somebody wanted to take out a public building with a bomb, they'll take out a public building with a bomb. Well, There's very and who, little you can do about it. Well, I mean, who doesn't know it better than someone who lives in the United Kingdom? Yeah. My God. <laughs> yeah, I mean... The IRA bombing spilled over everywhere. Well, you know? the, the, I mean, they, they bombed the Conservative conference. When Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister. Uh, but they missed her. <laughs> they took out the front of the building, though. <laughs> it's, um... It's weird. It's weird that everybody's unhappy. I mean, when you look at what your government does, your apathy built that. You know what I mean? All, all those... All those years where you didn't watch what anybody was doing and you didn't pay attention, you built that. It's not going to dismantle itself in a day, in a month, in one election cycle. It's going to take a long time because it took a long time to get that way. Yeah. Oh, and I think we've got Jeannie back. But I miss Jeannie. Around, yeah. Hmm? Instead of standing around saying that it's so fucked, there's no point, which is what a lot of people do now, Jan. I mean, there are a lot of people that, that can acknowledge... How fucked up the government is now. All right. And they're like, well, you know, look how far gone it is. But that doesn't mean you stop trying to fix it. No. And I think that is the biggest problem is even though people are now acknowledging that there's this huge issue, Mm -hmm. they figure it's so big that there's no fixing it. And that's that's the wrong stance. (laughs) Well... 
it is the wrong stance. You're not going to get anywhere with that attitude. And you kind of have to start. I don't know how many times I've said this. You have to start at a local level. And that means you start out on your street and then you start out on your block. And then you start out with your town council, city council, and you work your way up because that's the only way you're going to have real meaningful change is to work your way up the chain. Um, You can't go and tell Congress, hey, we're going to pull the money out of Congress. That's just not going to work. They're very well insulated against us. I (laughs) I would venture that most of them have no idea how dissatisfied people are with the American political system. You know, I, I think they're insulated from that, and I think that's on purpose so that they can keep doing really unpopular and god-awful things. Section 215 of the Patriot Act, a pretty bad fucking thing. And yet, <laughs> look how many people signed off on that on both sides of the aisle, and how many people are fighting against us calling for allowing it to sunset. You know, um, uh, by the way... Um, Stop215.org. Please visit that and follow the instructions to let your Congress critter know how you feel. Uh, If you're against the government's um, sweeping mass surveillance, uh, even though it might not do much, it does send them a clear message that we are watching them. They watch us. We watch them. It's kind of how it is now. I I don't... um, don't imagine it's very easy to figure this stuff out. But um, speaking of stopping 215, uh, do you want to talk about Bash before I start on this piece that really pisses me off? What, what do you want me to talk about? Oh, I don't know. Just did you have a good time? Um, I had an absolutely fantastic time. Um, I got to see a lot of my very dear friends, Par and Lisa, um, came and they were my roomies. Um, I, I left thinking I didn't have enough time with them. I didn't have enough time with, with my other friends. I, there were people there that I wanted to meet that I didn't get to meet. And I was glad to come home and see my husband. Um, the the biggest I got an RDNA and I really like it. But um I tell you the one thing that because you know we bitch a lot on this show, we tell people really disturbing <laughs> shit. Right. I feel that there is something that I learned at Bash that that I should tell everybody about. And okay. and it was from somebody that attended the Kasa meeting. Um and and this is brought up in the Kasa meeting and um I will tell you that Kristen and Julie and Ron had no idea what to say. Um but I had a lot to say. There are companies out there, Jan, that are telling their customers that the nicotine in their products comes from GMO tomatoes. What the? So it's $500 per 30 mil bottle, is it? Oh, no. It's still the low, low price of fucking (laughs) $22.50. Impossible. Yeah. I'm not kidding you, Jan. And I went down and I and and I said, I want to know who this is. Please tell me who this is so I can go talk to them. Right. And um, it ended up being one of the, it, the, the these people that were retailing someone else's juice. And uh, and I said, Well, I'd like I need some more information on this tomato nicotine. I really do. And he says, Well, you sound pretty hostile. 
And I said, well, if this exists, I don't know anything about it. If this exists, none of the other people I know that are immersed in this industry know anything about it. So if it's real, I am more than willing to listen to them and to have them give me the proof that this is real. Right. But I've talked to chemists in this industry, actual, real chemists, not some dumbass that took two chemistry courses in college, who have told me that it is virtually impossible to do. The mm-hmm. cost for it would be exorbitant. Mm-hmm. And would be. if such a thing had been modified to actually exist, mm-hmm. everybody would know. Yeah, yeah, as far we as haven't... I understand it, it takes approximately two or three tons of tomato <laughs> <laughs> to get well, a milligram per milliliter type quantity. Well, you know, I that's mean, not impossible if you live in the Simpsons yeah. universe where they grow <laughs> tomato. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, um, and it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so I'm bitching about this, right? And I come home and they're like, oh, well, this vendor da, 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 says that theirs comes from potatoes. And I'm like, well, there is fucking full of shit is the tomato. <laughs> so, Even you know, more full of shit. If, if you're out there, people, and you're listening to the show, and you are buying e-liquid from somebody because you think it is safe because it's made from tomatoes or potatoes, you're fucked in your head. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, that was, my, that, that was my most shocking revelation at Vape Bash was that, you know, that pe- there are people out there. And, and the most disturbing thing for me, and, and this comes from, like, the CASA standpoint of this or the militia or the any advocacy point, okay, from any, from any kind of an advocacy point. Right. Somebody that is marketing their product like this, telling people that theirs is going to be safe from regulation, <laughs> is just as fucked in the head. Because it's like they haven't noticed that it went from anti-smoking to anti-tobacco to anti-nicotine. Nicotine. The yep. name of the war has already fucking changed, people. Well, and it's not even that. If you look back, I hate to do this. I'm sorry. I'm kind of a, kind of a history buff, actually. Just not the history anybody else is fucking interested in. I am really interested in the early history of America and the era right before prohibition and a lot of what happened is you saw the suffragettes elizabeth Cady, and a lot of those women were among the first people who actually started the prohibition of alcohol and when their movement kind of came to a close do you know what they said they were going to do next time do you know no nicotine next When we do this next time, the first thing we're going after is nicotine. Nicotine is next. I think they've had a well-thought-out plan, and they're just following it to the core. Now, a a prohibitionist is a prohibitionist is a prohibitionist, and you're not going to beat that out of them or change their minds. Uh, They have role models to look at back in history and to... You know, they have a blueprint to follow, and that's exactly what they're doing. And when they're done with that, they're not going to stop. They're going to go after fat. We already see that. Sugar, we already see that. Sitting, we're seeing that. Um, 
a- anything you do that's fun and not productive, they're going to go after that. Like you're not a person. Like you're just productivity. And that's all that matters about you. And that's not true. You're a person. Screwed up and well-rounded and graceful and silly and crazy. You're a person. And you deserve to have that freedom of choice in everything you do. Prohibitionists want to take that away from you. They always have. They always will. And that's how this show kind of got the name Anti-Nanny, because I don't like those people. Well, I mean, yeah, I Puritans guess... Puritans suck. Yeah, yeah they do. <laughs> the, I guess the thing that bothers me the most from an advocacy standpoint, Jan, um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, a lot of vapors are really immersed in politics now, and it's be- because of vaping, you know? I mean, people that didn't give a shit about politics before... Um, found vaping and it was pretty life-saving to them. You know, they feel it saved their life. I feel it saved my life um, because I would not have quit smoking. I really would not. I would not have quit smoking. Um, I I enjoyed the the, the hand-to-mouth. I enjoyed the nicotine. I enjoyed the, okay, I'm all stressed out. I am just going to sit here and think about smoking the cigarette for the next five minutes and it's going to calm me down. So a lot of people feel that it saved their life and when it's being attacked, now, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, fuck politics, um, which is a good thing, which is good. You know, no matter what the cause was, the fact that they got involved with politics, I think, is a good thing. Um, but the amount of people that seem to think that there is going to be a way to sneak around this regulation. You've read it. I've read it. I've, I, I mean, I, I have read it repeatedly, and it makes me want to vomit every time I read it. But they have intentionally used so much murkiness. In that, there are not going to be loopholes. You know, the, anybody that thinks that they have found a way around it or to skate by it is just going to look like a complete and total dumbass when the FDA stomps on their throat. Well, and that's going to happen. That's what they're trying to do. So mm-hmm. instead of working and trying to do a workaround as a way you think that you're going that you and your special company is going to be able to avoid it, start fighting it now. Well, I was talking well, to somebody earlier, the, the TPD thing. It's got things in it that are plainly insane. Like the <laughs> the um, no-leak refilling, which is, <laughs> which is a technology that doesn't exist. Um, and somebody tonight was going, oh, well, you know, how can they enforce it if they even know what it is? Well, you're missing the point. It just means... That's the reason for taking everything that's refillable off the market. They don't need a reason. And then they went, well, 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 we'll just get stuff from China or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but this is a Europe-wide bill. Mm -hmm. They can order the customs services in the whole of the EU to seize everything e-cig related coming in. Stuff will get through, yes but it will still destroy the market. Yeah, it will. And and the people who think they're going to boil tobacco in water... Are going to kill themselves. They're, they're going to get very fucking sick. They're going to get very fucking sick. We had a girl a long time ago, back when I first started, six years ago. I mean, it feels like ancient history. 
But um, she was experimenting on how to extract nicotine from tobacco. In her house. Right? In her house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that was fucking Yeah. Yeah. You yeah she, fume cabinets and all sorts of specialist equipment. Well, you, the, the glassware is the most expensive. I've, I've looked into this. Um, you, you also don't want to be breathing in the solvents. You, you, you actually That's need I mean, reverse. You need cupboard. reverse airflow. Yeah. You know, you, you need special kind of hoods. You need special kind of containment units. I mean, you need special protective clothing for you to wear. Uh, none of this is cheap, nope. by the way. Um, so if and you're diluting. Solvents, say that word solvents against, again, Jan, because it cracks up the solvents. Yes, because it absolutely fucking floors me. The amount of people that think they're getting organic nicotine. Well, it, you, do you know how you extract nicotine from tobacco? <laughs> do you do, do you know what you pour onto tobacco to extract just the nicotine from it? Does anybody know? Anybody? Nail polish remover. Yeah. Doesn't that sound like it's fun to be breathing in? And not yeah, just regular um, nail polish remover. We're talking industrial strength stuff here. This is oh, stuff yeah. they don't sell at beauty supply stores. This is only sold through like hazardous material companies. And if you think you're going to be able to get that without your name going on some list because they use it to extract the the stuff from Sudafed that they make meth out of, if you think you're not going to get on a list and have the DHS come and visit you, you're out of your goddamned mind. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But um there are, I didn't there are know ways of doing it, but it's not easy. It's really not easy and it's incredibly dangerous. Well, it is very dangerous. You're either going to poison yourself or blow your house up. Yeah, and that's to extract nicotine. So, yes, by all means, let's get involved in that because that sounds safe. I mean, Um, I I know ways I could do it, but I did organic chemistry and I would still have to do a lot of reading before I started building the equipment. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I am telling you, I don't think I would really want to attempt it. I don't think, and no. I, I I I think there's a reason we, we why had, it's done in giant factories, right? But it's I'm saying I think, it really is. I mean, it's stupid well, dangerous, and for anybody to attempt it in their home, I you know, if you're, if you're your single thing. and you live on your own and you live in your own house and your neighbors' houses aren't close, fucking go ahead. But if you've got other people in your house, and God forbid you've got children in your house, you are an absolute moron if you attempt this in your home. Well, I mean, I was going to say, I think the three of us together are pretty intelligent, but I don't think I would attempt it even with Very helping me. I just wouldn't. And yeah. and Barry's one of the smartest people I know. Well, I've thought so, about it for much a long smarter time, than me. Enough, but, well, I'm yeah, just saying. It's just not. It's not. It's not easily done. It's going to take you years to set it up. Well, the, the glassware is the expensive part. I mean, that's well, the I, thing. I happen, I happen to know some glass blowers, but that's a completely separate matter. <laughs> so, um, for everybody listening, the Cliff Notes version of this conversation is: no one, not the host, and not the producer, and not the sidekick. Um, support anyone attempting to to extract their own nicotine at all for any reason. Don't do it. Even even home the, flavoring extraction isn't really a good idea. 
Well, that's why the day very. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I think even the network host would cringe at the thought. Or run away screaming. Or yeah. He yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Kevin. <laughs> so, we yeah. But, I mean, Bash was, other than that, you know, that was the only time that I got really, really, really irate. Um, I got the distinct pleasure of meeting uh, Tom Smith. I got to meet Dan, um, and both of them phenomenal. I'm very, very, very jealous of of Dan's hair. Um, the man has got hair clear down the back of his knees. It's absolutely fucking amazing. Um, I made a Kasa meeting. Mm. Write that shit down, Jan. I know. I saw it on my finally, Facebook page. I finally, I finally yeah. made a fucking Kasa meeting. You got uh, hugged a lot by Blacksmith Pro. Yes, I, I did. That's a BSP hugs. Um, he's BSP would probably hunt me down and kill me when he finds out I put his picture on Facebook. Um, well, he, he it was it was hilarious. I was watching some of the coverage. Saw you walking past the cameras, stuff like that. Yeah. but it wasn't I, until well, I was talking to him on that on show. It wasn't until I was talking to him on that show that he realised I was in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. he's intelligent, but. Mrs. Things. <laughs> we did not realize um, until the last day when Chopin come got me and made me go over and say hi to everybody on the Vape TV stream. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that that table that we were all sitting at was on the feed. The <laughs> <laughs> because I, I do my best to hide from, from cameras, you know. Um, and, and if you've seen any of my pictures on Facebook, you will, you will be able to attest for the fact that my selfie skills fucking suck. Um, but I think, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with Par and Lisa, and, and, and those two girls are my absolute sanity. One of the other high points of, of the thing for me was I went out to dinner Saturday night with Niagara Kayaker um, and Richard Hong, and Phil went with us. So Phil got to go be Phil for a little while. He didn't have to be P. Basardo, and it was really kind of awesome. And Julie and, Julie and Kristen and Ron... All went with us. So, um, yeah, we went to Korean barbecue, which I, I had never been. Um, and, yes, people, I am that sheltered. I had never been to a Korean barbecue restaurant. Um, and, you know, I have I have one thing to say about Korean barbecue places, okay? Somebody should tell you that when they bring you kimchi, which is just fermented cabbage, right? <laughs> That's not true. That is not true. They should tell you before... You pile this stuff on your leaf of lettuce with all your your green onion salad and your crackling pork. They should tell you that those little red flecks all over that kimchi are those fucking peppers that that burst you into flames on contact. Ghost peppers? Oh, yeah. Nice. Asians like their... Pepper. I like I like spicy food too, but uh, it was not spicy, Jen. It was fucking hot. Well, I'd, I'd I had a friend who was going to Australia, but had a week layover in um, South Korea, and he thought he liked spicy food. Um, after a week in South Korea, not so much and keen on the spicy <laughs> food anymore. Yeah, well, they put I mean, pepper like in their kimchi. breakfast. I oh, like kimchi. I've just never. Had it with incineration peppers before. <laughs> um, 
And 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 I'll tell you another thing. That that wonderfully clear liquid that they bring you that they're calling rice wine. <laughs> that is basically grain alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yep. They should alcohol. tell you of that. They should tell you of that too. Uh, they they should that why are they calling that wine? That was not wine. When they pour it in a shot glass, I should have had some idea. I should I really should have some idea. Especially when you use it to try and douse the heat of the pepper. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. I mean I was I ate Tums the rest of the night. Yeah, I did. Um but the food the food was really good other than other than the incineration peppers. Uh incineration peppers I really could have done without um, and you know the shot of grain alcohol was a little much too. Yeah, I, I could yeah. I could have, but I did have a really good beer, Jan. Okay. You you have to go to Chicago, and you have to have this beer. And I say you have to go to Chicago because it's the only fucking place you can get it, which really sucks. <laughs> okay. Ed the Green and and the Chicago Land people know this guy that that started this. His grandfather. They've had this recipe for this beer in their family for like 150 years. These people are fucking geniuses. Tastes just like root beer pop. Mm. Damn. And and I mean exactly like root beer pop. Wow. It's 6% alcohol. It's really fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> Proper beer. Yeah. That was really good. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it was fun. Um, I, you know, and I, I got off the airplane in, in Buffalo on the way home and I thought, is it October yet? Because October is VaporCon. So, you know, I'm like, I'm looking forward to the next meet. So should I just go on to the story about the airport? Yes, because you, 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 you you've got something to say. <laughs> you've got something to say. I know you do. So, okay. Algorithm censorship. Sorry. Sorry, I'm scrolling through show notes. <sighs> okay, this is by Annabelle Bamforth from BenSwan.com. CBS Denver report, TSA screeners exploited scanners to grope attractive male passengers. An investigation conducted by Denver's CBS 4 station revealed that two TSA employees at Denver International Airport have been fired after one employee acknowledged manipulating the airport scanning machine to allow the intentional groping of male passengers. According to an anonymous tip from a TSA employee from last November, a male TSA screener allegedly told a female colleague he was able to fondle attractive male passengers that arrive at a screening area by having another employee deliberately input incorrect data into the scanning machines. He related that when a male he finds attractive comes to be screened by the scanning machine, he will alert another TSA screener to indicate to the scanning computer that the party being screened is a female. When the screener does this, the scanning machine will indicate an anomaly in the genital area and allows this, the male TSA screener, to conduct a pat-down search of the area. That doesn't seem right. In February, three months after the initial claim, TSA security supervisor Chris Higgins observed that the screening area to check the accuracy of the anonymous tip. A law enforcement report obtained by CBS4 states that Higgins observed the male TSA screener appear to give a signal to another screener, the second female screener, was responsible for the touch screen systems that control whether or not the scanning machine alerts to gender-specific anomalies. 
The report went on to state that after a male passenger was seen entering the scanner, the investigator observed the female TSA agent press the screening button for a female. The scanner alerted to an anomaly, and Higgins observed the male TSA screener conduct a pat-down of the passenger's front groin and buttocks area with the palm of his hands, which is contradictory to TSA searching policy. The female employee who took part in the groping scheme was later interviewed by Higgins and admitted she had done this for the male TSA officer at least 10 other times. She knew doing so would allow the male TSA officer to perform a pat-down on a male passenger that the male TSA screener found attractive. The two TSA employees involved in the incident have since been fired. The TSA declined to name the employees who were fired. Yeah. Jeannie. Well... Um, so on my way to Chicago, I have to go through TSA, of course, mm-hmm. the, the lady that you have to show your ticket in your ID and such, mm-hmm. of course, I always have my ticket, my ID and my implanted medical device ID. Mm-hmm. And she said to me. You gave me your business card. I said, hmm. no, I didn't. That's my implant ID. She said, what's that for? <laughs> I said, well, I have an implanted medical device. And she said, Sorry. oh, you didn't need to tell me. And I'm like, well, I have to go in that line over there. And she says, well, just walk over into that one then for the scanner. So... I throw all my shit in the buckets and, and the whatever, right? And, you know, and I go and I stand in the scanner thing and the guy looks at me and he says, why do you have shoes on? And I look down and I said, because I forgot. Back out of the thing, take the sneakers off, you know, and, and I don't have any shoes that lace up and tie, Jan. I don't, right. because hands, I don't own a pair of shoes that lace up and tie. Okay. Um, so I slide my sketchers off, throw them in the thing back in the scanner, walk out of the thing and I you know, immediately pick my hair up and turn around so you can see the back of my neck. And he said, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Don't you need to pat down? He says, nope, you're clear. Okay. Opened up my suitcase. The motherfuckers took my hairspray. <laughs> but that's the only thing that happened to me going through TSA checkpoint, Jan, was that Took my hairspray. Well, I don't but, okay. but we call that security theater for a yeah. reason. Yeah. It, on the way back, on the way back, Jan, they had to feel my hip and the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. There's well, no on metal the plus in my side, hip. you didn't get one of the perverts, apparently. Well, there's, there's. Well, I'm kind of old there, Barry. So you know. <laughs> There is no metal in the top of my head. There is no metal in my hip. Why? It, how the fuck can you have a built-in lithium-ion battery pack, metal leads running the length of your back and electrodes sewn to your spinal cord, and not set off the fucking scanner? What does that tell you about the scanner? They're useless. They're a waste of my time and money is what they are. Mm-hmm. That's right. That is absolutely right. Um, yeah. So that leaves you with the question, why? Right? Why are we doing this? 
why are we letting them do something? Because stupid people think it's keeping them safe. Well, well, maybe not stupid, but uninformed. So ignorant. It's making ignorant people think they're safe. That's what okay. It is. So let me try to put it in different terms. We've heard me talk about my niece, my famous niece, the one who finally graduated high school and got a job. She's 21. <laughs> okay. Her generation has never known flying without the TSA. They were bought up with it to them this is absolutely normal and she's fine with it and so are her friends and they think that the TSA is doing a good job and it's keeping them safe she also just fun fact um, has had a phone connected to her hand since she was about 14 and she's actually got a deformed pinky finger from holding her iPhone and so do all her friends um, this is the generation that thinks the TSA is doing a good job. It's the older generation, I believe, that still reads and is still interested in current events around the world and how they affect other people and not just themselves that know that this is wrong. It's been wrong since they started. It's not going to get any more right the longer it goes on. So... You are either free people or you're not free people. And the TSA doesn't make you free. Okay. So I'm going to go back to that Guardian story that I was going to start before we started talking about going through the airport and the TSA. This is from Spencer Ackerman at the Guardian. Weekend surveillance reform bill is yesterday's news, civil libertarians say. The impending USA Freedom Act seeks to stop NSA phone record collection, leaving Section 215 intact, which activists say will only prolong mass surveillance. When the premier surveillance reform bill of 2014 is reintroduced in the current Congress, it can count on the apathy and even opposition from many of the civil libertarian activists who pushed it to the brink of passage last year. The USA Freedom Act, a bill that aims to stop the National Security Agency from daily collection of U.S. phone records in bulk, is set for a 2015 revamp after falling in the Senate last November. Supporters pledged to unveil it late this week or early next week. This time, as reported by The Guardian, the bill is shaping up to be the preferred piece of legislation to extend the lifespan of a controversial part of the Patriot Act known as Section 215. The NSA uses Section 215 to justify its domestic mass surveillance. The FBI considers it critical for terrorism and espionage investigations outside the typical warrant or subpoena channels. Section 215 sunsets or expires on June 1st. The bill's architects consider the USA Freedom Act the strongest piece of legislation to roll back the domestic reach of U.S. surveillance that Congress will pass. But a new coalition of civil libertarian groups on the left and the right is already looking past the bill in hopes of broadening what is possible, something they consider realistic thanks to the intelligence community's feverish desire to avoid the expiration of Section 215. It's really an opportunity for those who thought the USA Freedom Act wasn't strong enough to expand the debate, said Sean Vikta of the Sunlight Foundation, one of the driving forces behind the self-styled Civil Liberties Coalition. 
along with Sasha Marion of XLab, another leading feature figure in the coalition. Victor has enlisted seven prominent privacy and transparency groups, including the left-leaning Bill of Rights Defense Committee and the right-leaning Freedom Watch, Freedom Works. <clears throat> A statement of principles on the group's bare bones website, if somebody could link to that in the chat, testifies to their ambitions to widen the aperture of the congressional debate on surveillance. The civil liberties enshrined in the Bill of Rights are for all people, and by virtue of our common humanity, reads the first bullet point, expressing the sort of universalist point that legislators typically greet with rolled eyes. Some members of the coalition, dissatisfied with the diminished ambitions of the USA Freedom Act, which only addresses one aspect of bulk NSA surveillance, the domestic phone records collection, prefer the long-shot Surveillance State Repeal Act, which would unravel the legal foundations for USA mass surveillance. We think the USA Freedom Act as yesterday we think of the USA Freedom Act as yesterday's news said Shalad Butter of the Bill of Rights Defense Committee, and we're interested in forcing the intelligence agencies into a future where they comply with constitutional limits. The coalition does not include major organizations in the privacy debate, including Access, the Electronic Privacy Information Center, the American Civil Liberties Union, and Open Technology Institute that Mariah formed. Those groups have launched Fight 215, one that includes many organizations taking part in the Civil Liberties Coalition that seeks to end the controversial Patriot Act authoritatively. It remains to be seen if the division in focus pretends a greater split for privacy advocates in advance of a legislative showdown. Key figures behind the USA Freedom Act, speaking not for quotation or attribution ahead of the bill's launch, are looking past Vitka's coalition. Their bill will reauthorize Section 215 at the cost of banning its use for U.S. phone record surveillance. Their focus is on a strategy to place the NSA's congressional allies on the horns of a dilemma accept the restrictions on bulk collection in their bill or see all of 215 vanish. Freedom Act architects believe the revised bill is better for civil libertarians than the version that passed the House, if it's still not as robust as last year's Senate version. Language about what constitutes a selector, the controversial definition of the account device, server, person, or installation that can be surveilled, has been reworked, they say, although the Guardian has not seen the final product. But advocates the bill believe it goes as far as civil libertarians can realistically hope to secure passage. Several regret the path that the USA Freedom Act took to passage in the House, as it became clear throughout 2014 that bulk collection of U.S. records faced strong and bipartisan congressional oppression. The White House, the NSA, and the Republican leadership opted to embrace and then weaken the USA Freedom Act reforms. The version that passed the House in May 2014 received as many votes from the surveillance hawks as it did from the doves, a circumstance underscored by an overwhelming subsequent House endorsement for spy reform stripped from the original bill. This time, the legislative architects of the bill are taking a different approach. They've spent weeks incorporating criticisms and concerns of surveillance hawks, doves, and activists and practitioners into the text. The idea is that the bill is unveiled will not come in for a dispiriting round of changes, and the delay incurred in getting the Freedom Act into shape will create a sense of urgency to pass the bill ahead of the June 1st expiration of Section 215. Four weeks from now, they face a binary choice. This or sunset, explained a congressional aide. 
But the question for surveillance reform and advocates is whether the result of that wrangling is worth supporting. Some, like Robin Green of the Open Technology Institute, see the USA Freedom Act as a first step on a path to reform. Others consider it a tactical mistake. If passed, it'll only be the first step, predicted Patrick Eddington of the Cato Institute, a former House staffer, since the next expiration date for a major piece of surveillance legislation is 31 December 2017. Vicka, leaving the tactical disputes within civil libertarian circles aside, noted that the hardly guaranteed end of Section 215 would still leave the U.S. with a host of far-reaching surveillance authorities, including those of the DEA, that are aimed at U.S. citizens. It's not just 215, Vitka said. If 215 goes away, we'll still have mass surveillance of Americans in this country. That's just the way it is. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're trying Thoughts? anything they can to keep hold of their... Uh official capacity to spy on everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, anything... <sighs> Section 215 was a big deal before Edward Snowden started uh, talking about PRISM and all the other programs. Um, the program Over Your Way, which we just absolutely love. I forget the name of it. But it's the one that takes Tempura. absolutely... Every- Tempura that takes absolutely everything. I mean, we're working together. There's a survey. They've created the panopticon. We're already in a digital prison. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like prisoners, we're asking to be let out of jail. What do you think the results of that are going to be? (laughs) We'll let you know at your next parole (laughs) hearing. I don't know. Um, I think, I mean, I support both of these bills on the off chance that one of them gets passed. It might get passed. It might not get passed. I, fuck, it might put you on a list. Who knows? I mean, I kind of doubt that. They already know everything you type on Facebook, for God's sake. There's a CIA-based company that watches Facebook chats. Then the worst part is... I mean, I think everybody knows that, right? Anything you type on Facebook is not private. No, you know, anyone actually knows that. Oh, okay. People are so, dumb. So, yay? I just told you something you didn't know? I, I think people who listen to this show probably know that. Well, and I think the most disillusioning thing is people, when they set their page and their information to private, they think that nobody can see it, and that, that's just not correct. <laughs> no, it, it, it can your information can be seen. Um, and even if none of these things I'm talking about had happened, the surveillance apparatus, the government behind the government, the shadow government, all these unelected people that do these things, they've actually built weaknesses into all of the systems that they could watch you if they wanted to. So, um, that needs cleaning up. There's a lot of things that need cleaning up. And we're going to start losing money domestically because of some of the programs we're involved in, in a big way. I can't blame other governments for not buying computers from the U.S. Who yeah. could? <laughs> we know they're taking rerouting them and putting chips in them. I mean, 
all the things that every crazy said in the 70s and early 80s are just truth now. I find that kind of disturbing. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about is stingrays. So, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you've convinced me. Stand by for action. About to launch Stingray. Anything can happen in the next half hour. We've talked about stingrays before, so a lot of this stuff will not be a surprise to anyone listening. This is from Vice. It was written by someone named Lucy Steigerwald. While Edward Snowden gives interviews to John Oliver and the NSA continues to gobble up our data, local police departments are quietly spying on people without public oversight, often thanks to a little device known as a stingray. The use of these surveillance tools is apparently widespread, but it's only recently that the general public is becoming aware of it. Last month, the judge ruled in Erie County, New York, Sheriff's Department had to release unredacted documents about its stingray use. Last Tuesday, after receiving those documents, the New York Civil Liberties Union reported that the department used stingrays 47 times and seemingly on just one of those occasions got a court order for the subsequent surveillance. On Friday, The Guardian published the results of the paper's own Stingray investigation. Thanks to some unredacted documents from the Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff's Department, the paper concluded that the FBI is directly involved in preventing police departments from sharing any information about their Stingray use and orders them to tell the feds when requests for information on them are made so that they have time to prevent disclosure. Or still, Stingrays are not to be discussed by Florida law enforcement in warrants testimony or anywhere in court ever, even at the cost of dropping a case against a defendant. These revelations are just the latest pieces of concrete proof that spying spying is being conducted by police departments around the country, and that the federal government has a firm hand in keeping evidence of it far away from the public eye. Stingrays work by tricking cell phones into contacting them as if they were cell towers. Makes it easy for law enforcement to snag metadata such as numbers dialed and how long conversations were, as well as the location of the phone itself. Stingrays do this indiscriminately to phones in an area such as an apartment block. They also disrupt phone service for a large number of people. U.S. Marshals have even taken stingrays or devices that achieve similar effect 
to the air, which involves still more indiscriminate data being sucked up, the CIA played a role in setting that one up. Privacy advocates for the Electronic Frontier Foundation, yay, call Stingray-style searches general warrants for the digital age, meaning they are, at their core, unconstitutional. Almost invariably described as a suitcase-sized in media accounts, Stingrays cost tens of thousands of dollars each and are sometimes bought with war on terror grants or borrowed from the feds by local law enforcement. In both Florida and New York, cops had an agreement with the FBI to keep Stingray use secret, even at the cost of losing an investigation. That's alarming for privacy advocates as well as attorneys for defendants who want to know everything they can about the case against them. The devices, which have been around in various forms since the 1990s, and Harris Corporation, which manufactures Stingrays, the name brand generally used to refer to the International Mobile Subscriber Identity Catchers, IMSI Catchers, is a registered trademark that they registered in 2001. Domestic Stingrays do not have the capacity for intercepting actual cell conversations. However, a related Harris device called a trigger fish, which may or may not be in use today, can do just that. And other documents suggest that with some modifications, stingrays could also listen in on calls. So we more or less know what these things do. The question of who has them and how exactly they are being used remains murky because police departments, (coughs) federal authorities, and the manufacturer kick and scream at every attempt to shed light on the technology. As confirmed by the Erie Sheriff's Department, the FBI requires a non-disclosure agreement from local law enforcement agencies before they purchase or use a stingray. Subsequently, law enforcement officials have lied in court and have attempted to hide the use of stingrays in investigation. Perhaps most memorably, in response to an ACL lawsuit last year that instructed Sarasota, Florida police to reveal their stingray use, federal marshals deputized a police officer, then took possession of the requested files in order to avoid state sunshine laws. U.S. Marshals have also denied Freedom of Information Act requests for Stingray information, some of which was already public. The more we learn, the worse this looks. Last Wednesday, it was reported that Baltimore law enforcement used Stingrays thousands of times since 2007 and had concealed that fact from prosecutors and judges um, under the direction of the FBI. Previously, law enforcement there simply argued that stingray use was already legal under existing wiretapping laws, something privacy advocates dispute. Tracking a cell phone without a warrant was ruled to be a violation of the Fourth Amendment by the Florida Supreme Court last year. The ACLU has repeatedly argued that stingrays are an unprecedented violation of privacy rights. But in most places, without a precedent for the use of this technology, law enforcement organizations like Chicago Cops have managed to get away with it. The FBI basically argues that since they deploy stingrays in public places, there is no reasonable expectation of privacy for suspects, even though the devices reach them in their private homes, thereby ostensibly giving the Bureau free reign to deploy them from the streets or air. In 2013, a USA Today investigation showed that more than 25 police departments have stingrays. Last October, Motherboard's Jason Kobler wrote that at least 45 branches of law enforcement use them. Numerous federal agencies in the Army and Navy have also purchased them, spending a total of about $30 million on them since 2004. Alarmingly, law enforcement always seems to turn to Harris Corporation's non-disclosure agreement as a means to evade FOIA requests. Unfortunately, FOIA exemption number four, 
protects trade secrets and commercial or financial information obtained from a person that is privileged or confidential. On March 26, journalist Matthew Keyes seemingly scored a victory with an FOIA request for an operating manual for Stingray devices and this similar cheaper Kingfish, which tracks communications between cell numbers. The whole procedure took six months and many excruciating emails. At one point, Keyes was told by an FCC official that it would take longer so that Harris Corporation could be given the opportunity to defend the continued confidentiality of the owner's manual for the products at issue in the FOIA request. In its response, Harris justified its foot dragging by stating disclosure of certain materials could reasonably put public safety officials at risk, jeopardizing the integrity and value of investigative techniques and procedures. Um, okay. Unfortunately, there's almost nothing when they got that manual, there was almost nothing left unredacted. The very first page of the manual says it's exempt from FOIA request. Every successive page says warning ITAR international traffic in arms regulation controlled and confidential, not for public inspection. Each chapter of the 58-page manual contains redactions, and the entirety of Chapter 5 is redacted under trade secrets, FOIA exemption exemption number 4. That appears to be the only excuse that was needed to exclude nearly every word from this document. Finally, the 2010 manual has an appendix that is redacted. The most of the device warranty items are helpfully left in. That's all there is. Six months of struggles with the FCC and Harris resulted in no useful information. According to the Justice Department, the very existence of FOIA Exemption Number 4 encourages submitters to voluntarily furnish useful commercial or financial information to the government and provides the government with an assurance that required submissions will be reliable. When asked to comment on their non-disclosure agreements with law enforcement, Harris Vice President of Global Communications Jim Burke said he had none. But there's one thing that the past couple of years of revelations about the depth and breadth of government surveillance tactics have shown is that secrecy invites abuse. And if stingrays are being used to help spy on people en masse, the public has the right to know about them. Yes. (laughs) That was actually a pretty neat summation of damn near every story we've ever told on stingrays. So, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say about it anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, meet people face to face. Yeah. In an underground and, parking garage. And yet they're using <laughs> international, international um, trade laws, basically, to keep information about something secret. <laughs> It's well, a very clever use of law, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, big loophole. They've used it. Well, they're going to use every loophole they can find, um, and probably next week I'm actually going to talk about the uh, the chapter WikiLeaks released yeah. on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's pretty fucking horrible. If you like your land, you can keep your land. If you like your water, you can keep your water. Not. Holy shit, that was thunder. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, okay. And green outside. That's nice. No snow, right? Yeah. I don't like when the sky's green, though. Makes me think I'm still in Texas. Um, yeah, green sky, not good. 
Do you want to go? No. Okay. If you drop me, it's probably because, you know, we ran out of electricity. Okay. Well, so you're saying it's not that I've offended you. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It, it may be because the internet goes blink. Okay. I doubt it will make that specific noise, but you know what I mean. Well, if it does, we'll all, we'll all know what to listen for. Yeah. And FDA just puts in the chat, this land is your land. Uh, no, not in the state of Pennsylvania. I mean, if, if you bought and paid for something, you don't pay the taxes on that shit, you will find out really fast it is not your stuff. Um, well, yeah, but the Trans-Pacific Partnership, at least one of the chapters that WikiLeaks released, and by the way, you don't want to go to WikiLeaks and weed through this stuff, um... I do, apparently, because I don't like sleeping and I'm a masochist. But in really easy to explain language, I'm going to tell you, they expect people to give up their country's sovereign rights to corporations. Yep. So that's fun. Yeah, it um, basically counteracts all local law mm-hmm. in favor of corporations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anytime you go to court, it will be with a corporation. Doesn't that sound fun? And that's just the intellectual property chapter. Yep. Which is just fucking horrific. Well, in most countries, of course, uh, the reason they've done this, um, corporations are treated as individuals unless you try and sue them. Because they're people, except yeah. they don't pay taxes. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, legal loopholes again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty bad. So anyway, that's something to look forward to next week. Um continuing on with the fun for this week. Lawyer representing whistleblowers find malware on drives supplied by cops. Says police department brass tried to infect him, seeks criminal sanctions. An Arkansas lawyer representing current and former police officers in a contentious whistleblower lawsuit is crying foul after finding three distinct pieces of malware on an external hard drive supplied by police department officials. The hard drive was provided last year by the Fort Smith Police Department to North Little Rock attorney Matt Campbell in response to a discovery demand filed in the case. Campbell is representing three current or former police officers in a court action, which was filed under Arkansas's Whistleblower Act. The lawsuit alleges former Fort Sumter police officer Don Paul Bales and two other plaintiffs were legally investigated after reporting wrongful termination and overtime pay practices in the department. According to court documents filed last week in the case, Campbell provided police officials with an external hard drive for them to load with email and other data responding to his discovery request. When he got it back, he found something he didn't request. In a subfolder titled D. Bales Court Order, a computer security consultant for Campbell allegedly found these three well-known Trojans, including Win32.ZBot, dash A-V-H-T-R-J, a password logger and a backdoor, N-S-I-S downloader C-C-T-R-J, a program that connects to an attacker-controlled server and downloads and installs additional programs, and two instances of Win32 Cyberbot.NFT Trojan, a backdoor. All three Trojans are easily detected by antivirus software. 
In an affidavit filed in the whistleblower case, Campbell's security consultant said it's unlikely the files were copied to the hard drive by accident, given claims by Fort Smith police that the department's systems ran real-time AV protection. Additionally, the placement of these Trojans all in the same subfolder and not in the root directory means that the Trojans were not already on the external hard drive that was sent to Mr. Campbell and were more likely placed in that folder intentionally with the goal of taking command of Mr. Campbell's computer while also stealing passwords to his accounts. In last week's court filings, Campbell asked the judge hearing the suit to hold the plaintiffs in criminal contempt and impose other court sanctions. The request is under submission, and it's not clear whether the judge will rule on the motion. A public information officer for the Fort Smith Police Department declined to comment on the matter until after officials have reviewed the allegations. Last September, Arkansas State Police officials declined Campbell's request that the agency's criminal investigation division probe how how the hard drive said to Campbell came to be booby-trapped. The allegations submitted for review appear to be limited to a misdemeanor of violations, which do not rise to the threshold for assigning a case CID to the Special Investigations Unit, the commander of CID wrote in a September 29th letter detailing the request. The prosecuting attorney for Arkansas's 12th Judicial District has also declined Campbell's request to investigate, saying the district doesn't have the technical resources to conduct such a probe. The prosecuting attorney went on to say that the U.S. Justice Department may have the legal authority to probe the matter. Anybody? Uh, <laughs> hmm. Right. A um, couple of thoughts. Uh, either... That police department really needs to be closed down because the people in it are dumb. <laughs> or that lawyer uh, really needs to get really, really good experts to have a closer look at what happened with that hard drive. Because that stuff, yeah, I reckon that those are very common. Yeah. Um, people get them, they pick proteins. them up. They pick um, them up. So, I mean, was there other like, stuff on there? No, that was just those three. Hidden. Ah, just those. You can never be sure. I, I know how you can hide stuff. Uh, <laughs> well, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I mean. It's either very clumsy or very clever. <laughs> yep. but either way, it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> very illegal. So yeah, there you go. Yay, Arkansas. <laughs> um. More surprising is the uh, them saying, "Oh, we can't investigate into it because you know we don't have the resources." Really, oh, you're a, the court. It's a, it's a misdemeanor. We know nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's why it was limited to those three Trojans. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, because anything else, you know. Uh, really crosses the line, I'm guessing. I'm not an expert in Arkansas law, obviously, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, also from Ars Technica, this one was written by Dan Gooden. Meet the e-voting machine so easy to hack, it will take your breath away. Virginia election officials have decertified an electronic voting system after determining that it was possible for even unskilled people to surreptitiously hack into it and tamper with vote counts. 
The ABS win vote made by Advanced Voting Solutions passed necessary voting system standards and has been used in Virginia and until recently in Pennsylvania and Mississippi. It used the easy-to-crack passwords of admin, ABCDE, and SHOUP to lock down its Windows administrator account, Wi-Fi network, and voting results database, respectively, according to a scathing security review published Tuesday by the Virginia Information Technologies Agency. The agency concluded that the audit after one Virginia precinct reported that some of the devices displayed errors that interfered with vote counting during last November's elections. The weak passwords, which are hard-coded and can't be changed, were only one item on a long list of critical defects uncovered by the review. The Wi-Fi network the machines use is encrypted with wired equivalent privacy, an algorithm so weak that it takes as little as 10 minutes for attackers to break a network's encryption key. The shortcomings of WEP have been so well known that it was banished in 2004 by the IEEE, the world's largest association of technical professionals. What's more, the WinVote runs a version of Windows XP embedded that hasn't received a security patch since 2004, making it vulnerable to scores of known exploits that completely hijack the underlying machine. Making matters worse, the machine uses no firewall and exposes several important internet ports. Because the WinVote device used such insecure security protocols, weak passwords, and unpatched software, the WinVote devices operate with a high level of risk, researchers with the Virginia Information Technologies Agencies wrote in Tuesday's report. The security testing by Vita proved that the vulnerabilities on the WinVote devices can allow a malicious party to compromise the confidentiality and integrity of voting data. To prove their claim, the machine was vulnerable to real-world hacks. The auditors were able to use the remote desktop protocol to gain remote access to the voting machines. They also used readily available hacking and diagnostic software to map access and transfer data from default shared network locations, including C, D, admins, and IPCS. After downloading the database that stores the results of each vote, the auditors required just 10 seconds to figure out the password was Shoop, named after the company that preceded Advanced Voting Solutions. The auditors were then able to copy the database, modify its contents to tamper with recorded votes, and copy it back to the voting machine. It's hard to find plain words that convey just how bad the security of this machine is. It's even harder to fathom so many critical defects resided in a line of machines that has played a critical role in the U.S. democratic system for so many years. Jeremy Epstein, a security expert specializing in e-voting, summarized the threat brilliantly in a post published Wednesday morning to Freedom to Tinker blog. He wrote, As one of my colleagues taught me, BLUF, bottom line up front, if an election was held using the AVS win vote and it wasn't hacked, it was only because no one tried. The vulnerabilities were so severe and so trivial to exploit that anyone with even a modicum of training could have succeeded. They didn't need to be in the polling place within a few hundred feet. The parking lot is easy and with half a mile with a rudimentary antenna built using a Pringles can. Further, there are no logs or other records that would indicate if such a thing ever happened. So if an election was hacked any time in the past, we will never know. 
He went on to write, I've been in the security field for 30 years, and it takes a lot to surprise me, but the VITA report really shocked me. As bad as I thought the problems were likely to be, Vita's five-page report showed that they were far worse, and the WinVote system was so fragile that it hardly took any effort. While the report does not state how much effort went into the investigation, my estimation, based on the description, is that it was less than a person week. And finally, he wrote, So how would someone use these vulnerabilities to change an election? Take your laptop to a polling place and sit outside in the parking lot. Use a free sniffer to capture traffic and use that to figure out the WE password, which VITA did for us. Connect to the voting machine over Wi-Fi. If asked for password, the administrator password is admin. Vita provided that. Download the Microsoft Access database using Windows Explorer. Use a free tool to extract the hardwired key, SHOOP, which Vita also did for us. Use Microsoft Access to add, delete, or change any of the votes in the database. Upload the modified copy of the Microsoft Access database back to the voting machine. Wait for the election results to be published. It's good that Virginia will no longer use this machine. Still, given how long it took for the vulnerabilities to be identified, the report raises serious questions about the security of electronic voting and the certification process election officials use to determine if a given machine can be trusted. I just can't imagine election results not being reliable, Jan. (laughs) (laughs) But really, yeah, whoever the committee was or the group that uh, certifies the voting machines, yeah, they need to go to jail. (laughs) They're they're not, yeah, they're not real bright either. Uh, I was going to talk about stingrays again, but... Uh, I'm not going to, uh, except I will say that St. Louis cops dropped a case uh, against a bunch of fucking bank robbers and shit this last week to avoid talking about stingrays. So there's that. Uh, You have to do a lot to keep old old children's shows secret. (laughs) You do. Um, nutritional science isn't very scientific. This is from Slate. The research behind dietary recommendations is a lot less certain than you think. By Heather Trudalo-Gilligan. The potato industry recently scored a big victory in what sounds at first like a familiar story of big AG winning out over public health. Eight years ago, over allegations of insufficient nutritional value, potatoes were excluded from a government program that helps pregnant women and young children improve their diets. The rationale was that aid recipients in the Women, Children's and women Infants, and Children program already ate plenty of white potatoes, a widely consumed vegetable in the United States. But in February, potatoes were back on the menu after a fierce multi-year lobbying campaign by the National Potato Council. Really? The potato people have lobbyists. Nutritionist Marion Nestle and other progressive reformers called foul, denouncing the change. Really, Nestle scoffed. I have a hard time believing that WIC recipients are suffering from a lack of potatoes in their diets. Several watchdog groups in the National WIC Advocacy Group opposed the change, too. It's disappointing that politics has trumped science. Margot Wooten, director of nutritional policy at the Center for Science in the Public Interest, Those people are nuts, told reporters. 
But did science really lose? In this case, the potato industry had science on its side, the outcry from nutritionists notwithstanding. Despite the common belief that potatoes are nutritionally null, a report released in February by the Institute of Medicine, an independent nonprofit, showed that white potatoes are an inexpensive source of potassium, fiber, and other needed nutrients, and one that people actually enjoy eating. The takeaway from the potato controversy is not that lobbyists sometimes base their campaigns on real science. Rather, it's that the David and Goliath narrative of science versus big AG may be blinding us to another, even bigger problem. The fact that there is very often little solid science backing recommendations about what we eat. Most of our devout beliefs about nutrition have not been subjected to a robust, robust experimental controlled clinical trial. The type of study that shows cause and effect, which may be why Americans are pummeled with contradictory and confounding nutritional advice. Nutritional bad guys that have fallen from grace in the national consensus, white potatoes, eggs, nuts, iceberg lettuce, have all been redeemed in recent years. Over time, good guys like margarine and pasta have been recast as villains. Cholesterol is back in the probably won't kill you column after being shunned for 40 years. As the latest nutritional advice from the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee in February, that advice was still too timid, according to Cleveland Clinic cardiologist Steve Nissen, who also wants nutritional guidelines to admit our best evidence suggests fat isn't bad for you either. And then there's salt. Don't eat too little, says the newest research. You could die. Amid the growing concern that nutritional advice to avoid high-fat food led to overconsumption of carbohydrates that caused spikes in illnesses like type 2 diabetes, more and more scientists are starting to worry publicly that the basis of our dietary advice is scientific quicksand. How potatoes were born again is a telling example of the uncertain foundation of nutrition. Potatoes had a bad rap in part because they're usually deep-fried. But even when they are not, they have a high glycemic index, according to a prominent Harvard nutritionist, Walter Willett. A high GI means foods quickly turn to sugar in the body and may eventually lead to heart disease and other illnesses, especially among diabetics, according to an analysis of data from the Nurses' Health Study at Harvard, which Willett oversees. He placed potatoes in the same naughty group as candy in his influential 2005 book, Eat, Drink, and Be Healthy, the Hartford the Harvard Medical School Guide to Eating Healthy. One of his studies concluded that white potatoes are worse than soda, leading the LA Times to dub Spud's public enemy number one in 2011. So how, just a few years later, did white potatoes return to the list of healthy foods? The IOM committee found a lack of evidence supporting claims that tubers are unhealthy. Wick only pays for fresh produce or frozen or canned fruits or veggies with nothing added. So there is no worry women in the program are using their vouchers for potato chips. No one can test the positives of potatoes, much-needed micronutrients and fiber, and there isn't enough proof that they found that, the, that GI is important to health. So white potatoes got the green light. Well, it calls the IOM potato report myopic because other vegetables have the same needed nutrients as potatoes without the possible dangers of high GI foods that his studies have shown. And because micronutrient deficiency isn't our biggest dietary problem, well, it told me in a recent email exchange, obesity is likely to be of greater concern. In other words, why take a risk on a possible downside to eating potatoes when you don't need to? Many nutritional studies are observational studies, including massive ones like the nurse's health study. Researchers like Willett try to suss out how changes in diet affect health by looking at associations between what people report they eat and how long they live. 
When many observational studies reach the same conclusion, well, it says there is enough evidence to support dietary recommendations. Even though they only show correlation, not cause and effect, observational studies direct what we eat, and yet we can't have one on vaping. Apart from their inability to determine cause and effect, there's another problem with observational studies. The data they're based on, surveys where people report what they ate the day or week before, are notoriously unreliable. Researchers have often known that people, even nurses, misreport intentionally and unintentionally what they eat. Scientists politely call this recall bias. The coupling of observational studies and self-reported data leads to some observers to the conclusion that we neither know how Americans eat, do eat, or how they should eat. A recent PLOS 1 article even suggests that several nutritional studies use data that is so wildly off-base that the self-reported caloric intake is incompatible with survival. If people had eaten as little as they reported, in other words, they would be starving. Peter Atia, a medical researcher and doctor, started questioning the basis of dietary guidelines when he saw following them didn't work for his patients. They didn't lose weight even when they vigorously stuck to their diets. When he took a look at the research supporting the advice he was giving to patients, he saw shoddy science. Atia estimates that 1,600 nutritional studies are published each year, but the majority of them are deeply flawed, either poorly controlled clinical trials, observational studies, or animal studies. Those studies wouldn't pass muster in another field, he told me. Atia founded the Profit Nutrition Science Initiative. The Nutrition Science Initiative has about $40 million from the Laura and John Arnold Foundation to support clinical trials in nutrition rigorous enough to tell us what to eat. Its goal is to answer the one fundamental question about how we should eat. Are low-fat or low-carb diets better for health? The NUSI projects are not the first clinical trials in nutrition, and Willett pointed out to me that previous big and expensive trials have failed because people don't follow their randomly assigned diet, and that is one key reason the field has depended so heavily on observational studies. NUSI-funded trials try to correct for this problem. In one of the studies, they isolated in a clinical residence for eight weeks at a time, and every morsel of food they eat is controlled. In another, 150 overweight or obese subjects, all college students, faculty, and staff, eat every meal in a special dining hall. In the third study, participants aren't isolated but are assigned either a low-fat or low-carb diet and report what they've eaten immediately after they eat to sidestep recall bias. In two or three years, Atia estimates results will be available. Even if participants in the NUSI studies do not follow their diets perfectly, and even if researchers establish whether low-fat or low-carb is better, that won't necessarily establish whether we should eat more or less of individual foods. What kind of carbs are good for you, and should potatoes be specifically avoided? What vegetables should you be eating more of? It would take 100 clinical trials to come up with solid advice about which foods to eat and which to avoid, especially since... Genetic variations mean that different people have different nutritional needs. One interesting bit of advice came in the discussion following the IOM's recent reversal on cholesterol. Cardiologist Steve Nissen suggested that any recommendations come with a brutal side of honesty. We are guessing, he said, and we have to be more humble about telling people what we know and what we don't know. Oh, look. Another field of science that seems to guess. <laughs> yeah, well, 
So you've got tobacco control and you've got dietary science and they're all just guessing. Well, the most telling... Fantastic. Um, the most telling... It wasn't a study, but the most telling experiment I've mm -hmm. seen on this was done in the UK by a television show. Mm. Uh, they had doctors who were identical twins. Okay. They put one on a low-fat diet, but could eat everything else as normal. Right. Uh, because that's one of the things nutritionists say you should do. And the other one was put on a low sugar diet because that's right. the other one nutritionists always go on about. Mm -hmm. Can you guess which one ended up illest quickest? Low fat? Yeah, mm, yes, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure they both ended up ill pretty quickly. Oh, Sugar's yeah. But uh, the, one, the one who was. Um, Well, no, the one that was worst off, actually, was the low-sugar one. Because, yeah. right, he wasn't eating any sugar, apart you from to, what was you in needed, the food. You needed and to And he, within a month, he was borderline diabetic. <laughs> oh, There's this big lie that sugar causes diabetes, and it doesn't. <laughs> it's high fat. You know, that causes diabetes. It's not... Uh, sugar will kill you after you have diabetes. Not, <laughs> not before. The guy the guy in the sugar diet, yeah, his skin was starting to go blotchy and all that kind of stuff. Ugh. But he had more energy, had better concentration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the experts were like, well, you could probably survive this way for years. <laughs> Whereas the other guy, they were going after a month, you need to stop this now before you injure yourself permanently. I think so. I think it comes down to moderation in all things. Yeah. You know? It, that's what it all comes down to. Eat what you want, just don't pig out for God's sake. I mean and walk a, a lot of the bit. a lot of the old um Victorian dietitians but mm -hmm. they didn't call themselves that back then. <laughs> Had it right. The only thing that works, eat less, move around more. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's that simple. There is yeah. no... There's no magic there's bullet. There's no magic bullet. No. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Low carb is... Low carb will peel a lot of weight off. You have done it before. I mean, I've gone on the diabetic yeah. diet. And, um, you know, I was happy as hell. I ate sweet potatoes morning, noon, and night, and I was happy as hell. I could have lived like that for years. Well, that's the one in this report that made me laugh, the potato thing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, they're really, they're really, really bad for you, potatoes. Yeah, that's why, <laughs> that's why when they had the potato farming in Ireland, yeah, everybody was just so much better off <laughs> um, not, be, not getting the potato diet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I do. We do paleo here, and right. you know that's that's no grains, no processed food, no, you know all of that. And I mean, we can't have cane sugar, um, but that's because you know white sugar is one of the most processed things you can find. Um, but we can have all the honey and the real maple syrup we want. So, you know, I mean, you need 
something of everything yeah. in your yeah. diet. And and believe it or not, I mean, we have an extremely high fat diet now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and but you also eat a lot of vegetables. Yeah. Yes, you know? lots and lots of veggies. Um, the only veggies you can't eat are are um, beans. You can have green beans, but um, you know, kidney beans, navy beans, lima beans, that sort of stuff, right. because they're basically zero for nutrition. Is why yeah, the nutritional just value is nothing. Um, no. Yeah, there's there's nothing there. Um, and potatoes the same way. Now, sweet potatoes, you can have the sweet potatoes you want because mm-hmm. you have to have some form of carbohydrates in yeah. your diet. Well, I mean, it's because of how your body digests it, though. I mean, they're actually right about white potatoes. I mean, your body digests them really quickly, and it does turn it to sugar. Yeah. But, you know, sweet potatoes, they're so fibrous, it negates most of that. It, your body takes a long time to digest it. It's also so a it's great deal to do with what, um, what type of white potato you're eating. They're all different species of them. True. Some are better than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you get, lov- you get those lovely... They're still classed as white potatoes, but you get those lovely potatoes that are... Um, very pink and very fibrous when you eat them. Uh, I can't I've remember se- the name of them offhand. We have the little purple fingerlings here. Those are pretty yeah. neat. I like those. And they still taste good. Mm-hmm. They just look a little different. Yeah. This is the problem. Um, humans are genetically designed to crave fat, salt, and sugar. It's because and at no point in history have these things been more freely available. you know um you can just make simple choices that make you know that you you know are right Mm -hmm. you know um we don't eat anything but coconut oil in my house and that's because i have old no no no, wait but that sounds like the only substance you eat no 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 i'm only (laughs) i mean we don't have butter we don't have margarine all we have in my house to cook with anything is coconut oil and that's because we have old people here and that's because there's actually a lot of pretty decent research i mean it's observed it's observation bias so god only knows whether it's true or not but there's a school of thinking that says what happens to the brain when you start to have dysfunction is that there's a form of diabetes especially for older people in the brain and coconut oil is like one molecule away from a form of sugar the brain uses to communicate and it will latch onto that and use it yeah so it, it is really helpful for older people and i can remember when they used to freak out about people eating coconut oil it was so bad for you and now everybody's just all over it. Well, um, Jeannie mentioned there the paleo diet. Right. Of uh, cane sugar, which Mm -hmm. isn't strictly true. You can have cane sugar, but you need to buy unprocessed cane sugar. I don't know if you get that in the States, but but you do get it over here. Yeah, but see, that's the thing, Very, um, and Jan knows this, Uh, you can go to the store here and you can buy this stuff. It's called sugar in the raw. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. It's not. It's not. That's the problem. Um, It's not what it appears to be. Um, So, I mean, we use a lot of 
a lot of honey here, of course. You know, I mean, we yeah. have beehives and pure maple syrup. And um, I have coconut palm sugar for my coffee and such. And coconut palm sugar really tastes good. It's it's very it's quite lovely. Yeah, it's got um, it, it's got quite a bit of vanilla in it. It's got a lot of it's very caramely. Yeah. You know what I mean? It it's got that that dark caramely flavor to it. You don't get that with white sugar. It's quite lovely. <laughs> Just to confuse matters, of course, I live in the UK and we don't actually use much cane sugar. Well, because we get most of our sugar from sugar beet. We do too. Um, yeah. Most of ours comes from in the United States too. They just don't want yeah. to tell people that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I actually we have cane here in the yard. It's not hard to grow. It's well, see, just if hard you to process. all you need to do to get cane sugar, and as I say, you do get it in the shops over here, is you get the cane, you heat it, the sugar dribbles out, <laughs> you then crush it up in a grinder. That's it. That's it's all you a- need to do to it. <laughs> Well, it's a pain in the ass. You've got to have a special way to dry it. and you know, I mean, for your own personal use, not a big deal. Yeah. The only trouble, I I used to use that all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Until I ended up not able to work, in which case I can't afford the sugar that costs (laughs) ten times as much. Right. That's what gets me. It's easier to process because they're not using all these chemical processes on it. Mm -hmm. But it costs ten times as much. Welcome to Crazy. the world. Yeah. <laughs> Everything kind of seems like that. Um, I I think we covered everything I said I was going to cover. Uh, hang on. ABS wind vote. Yeah, we did. We covered everything I said I was going to cover. It's like a banner night. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't always happen, so I'm kind of well, proud did, of that. You did miss out that one Stingray story, but, you know. I, I kind of say shut up. <laughs> You're tired. But I'm, I'm, I re- shut up is kind of a good thing. I refuse to think that the stuff we talked about tonight was so boring you couldn't come up with a response. Oh, no, I could. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it's... Um, oh, you missed the one about uh, Google and Facebook. Should I read that? It's up to you. It's your show. It's not really that long. Does anybody care if we run a little over? Probably not. Okay. This is from PC World. How much should we allow Google, Facebook, and others to tell us what to think? Increasingly, computers are deciding what news stories we read and may even end up teaching our children to speak. But whether we should allow them to is becoming the subject of a heated debate related to the use of algorithms. Algorithms are pieces of code that, much like a recipe, provide a set of instructions to complete a task. They're used by companies like Google and Facebook to determine what search results are relevant and what posts are shown in someone's timeline. I never see anybody's posts. They are used to mediate social, political, personal, and commercial interactions for billions of people and can act as powerful gatekeepers that are increasingly used to make decisions for us or about us. The ethical issues raised by all of this was a hot topic at the Global Conference on Cyberspace in The Hague this week. Algorithms used to be 
followed by people as a set of instructions. People could choose not to follow them, but when they are entirely processed by computers, there is little to no potential for human intervention, comparison, or judgment, and this could pose a problem, noted panelists. No algorithm is neutral. Every algorithm is based on some kind of unknown ideology, said Cave said a professor of computer science at the University of Savoie, France. <laughs> that means that we need to check the philosophy and ideological premise of people who write algorithms and not the code itself, he said during a panel discussion at the conference on Thursday. Transparency is the key. The key to dealing with algorithms is transparency from companies using them, said Jillian York, policy director for freedom of expression for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. She pointed out that Twitter, for instance, manipulates its trending topics algorithm to make sure some things don't trend repeatedly. That's why you don't see Justin Bieber every day, and I'm sure we're all grateful for that. But this can also be problematic. When you do have a very popular social movement, e-cigs, or political movement, e-cigs, that is in fact trending in the traditional sense, which happens when there are millions and millions of tweets about that topic, she said. While this might not be censorship, it certainly is a suppressor of a certain topic, she said. It may not necessarily happen for nefarious reasons, but it could result in Monday Night Football becoming a more popular event in the eyes of a social media company than a social movement, and this can look essentially like censorship, she said. York contributed to a report on algorithm ethics prepared for the cyberspace conference by the Center for Internet and Human Rights, CHIRE. The report signals that the speed of technological developments, as well as corporate and government incentives, have overshadowed the urgency needed discussion of ethics and accountability for this new decision-making infrastructure. Making sure that such algorithms are in line with human rights standards will be a challenge for companies and governments in the coming years, the report says. Issues with algorithms might be closer to home than you think. Mattel, for instance, is developing a new Barbie doll called Hello Barbie that will be able to hold conversations by processing the dialogue of children around it. This processing is done by an algorithm in the cloud that is used to send a response back. This means that every family that owns such a doll has a microphone hooked up to the internet listening in on household chatter, said Frank LaRue, Director of European Operations at the Robert F. Kennedy Center for Justice and Human Rights. Is this ethical or not? I would say not, said LaRue. Allowing such a doll into a family, in a way, also allows an algorithm to interfere with our processes of thinking and talking. This means that in the most fundamental stages of life, children can be conditioned with what an algorithm determines to be proper use of language and a typical conversational flow. I think that is not only a seriously serious breach of ethics, but also a serious breach of human rights, a violation of privacy, and a violation of freedom of expression, he added. Swaying opinion. There are various ways uh, algorithms can influence people, speakers at the conference said. Choices made by algorithms could potentially influence an election by showing certain types of stories about a candidate more often than other. Algorithms used to block terrorism-related content could at the same time unintentionally remove news stories about terrorism from people's timelines. The thought that algorithmic changes to Facebook timelines have a big influence on people is not as strange as it might seem. 
Facebook last year, for example, conducted a controversial psychological experiment on nearly 700,000 users to determine the impact of changes in its news feed algorithm had on people's moods. The experiment, Digital Privacy Rights Groups, the Electronic Privacy Information Center said, purposefully messed with people's minds. The question, though, is what should be done to prevent problems arising from rapidly developing technologies? Movie transparency can help, but is that enough? And how far should that transparency go? Companies could be hesitant to share information about their algorithms, noted Richard Allen, Facebook's director for policy for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, who said the big question for Facebook is whether it is going to feel free to be transparent about its algorithmic choices. Is there going to be a space in which we can have these conversations? Or is it going to be the case that every time we're going to publish something or engage with outside researchers, we're going to have a storm in the media and our brand is getting so damaged that our instincts is going to be to close it and close down and shut it down, he asked. Even so, the general principles on which algorithms are based should be out there, noted panelists. That is already true to some extent with the newsfeed algorithm at the moment, but could be extended in the future, Alan said. However, having to go into full intimate detail of an algorithm could be another matter. If there's going to be a system in which some kind of approval is needed for every change that is made, there is clearly a potential conflict with the fast-moving environment tech companies operate in, he said. Companies should be able to make choices to their platforms without going through some kind of regulatory process every time, he stressed. The issue is not merely academic. On Thursday, for example, French senators amended an economics bill with a structure that would require Google to advertise three competitors on its homepage. The bill stops short of requiring the search engine to disclose its algorithms, but does require economically powerful search engines to provide information about how they classify or index websites. Regulating algorithms in some manner could be an option, though. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission's Bureau of Consumer Protection recently established an Office of Technology Research and Investigation that will be looking into the issue of algorithmic transparency. Regulatory action doesn't seem to be on the agenda yet, but the FTC is interested in how algorithms operate, what incentives are behind them, what data is used, and how they are structured. In some areas, like finance, where automated high-speed trading systems have a potentially destabilizing effect on financial markets, algorithmic regulation has already been discussed, noted the CHIR report on algorithmic ethics. A similar examination of whether to regulate algorithms can be seen in the online search market. While regulators have not yet issued rules about Google's algorithms, investigations into the search engine's dominant market position revolve precisely around this question, the report said. The increasing importance of algorithms raises a whole host of ethical questions, some of which involve issues of regulatory policies, the author said. These questions and more deserve urgent and deep attention by everyone concerned about the future shape of human society. You bored yet? Mm. Oh, and do you know that um, Facebook algorithms are mostly Suck. written by Facebook <laughs> algorithms? They suck. They're terrible. Yeah. I can't, if I, all of my 700 and like seven or 708 friends, if I want to see something you've posted, I have to seek you out. Well, I see um, nothing from I'm any of you. I'm dropping the link in the chat, which has some useful information that the Guardian um, put out. 
on how to better control uh, Facebook and uh, the like. But people don't go through the settings and oh, change I the have. settings. I have. Yeah. I mean. Oh, it's not I easy. Have. No. Um, there it's are there are pieces of software you can download that add into Facebook and give you more control. I can't find for the link for it at the moment. But that's ridiculous. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And I love ad blocker. I love ad blocker. It's the best thing in the whole world. I yeah, mean, I've got ad blocker, ad blocker plus, and anti ad blocker blocker. You know what I love? I've I, my two favorite extensions are like Privacy Badger and Ghostery. And the reason I like them is because Google keeps sticking cookies on everything I do. You know, and they can read it. So can other search engines. And they can tailor advertising to me. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I like what I like. I have Google Analytics blocked. Good for you. Yeah. I look at web pages. I tend to not get very many adverts at all. Yeah, I don't either. And, and Google isn't collecting data from me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Same for me, and I I love Ghostery. I mean, mm. Ghostery, and then having Privacy Badger for the backup. I, I nothing is tracking me, and that means any ads I do happen to see, which are rare, 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 rare. Um, they have no idea who I am. Yeah. And I like that. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I don't think companies should know as much about me as they know. It's it's uh it's an invasion of privacy. It's a I, I unfortunately, despite all the end user agreements, uh basically I don't think I've actually got a legal mm-hmm. end user agreement on any of these websites because I don't put in correct information when I'm oh. signing up. well you know there's a lot of things that I there's a lot of things that I do not for me the stuff that I do for me I'm very um, careful about what I do anything anything I do online is a potential risk anything you do online is a potential risk whether it's banking or or any of that Um, so I'm very careful about stuff I do for me but there's stuff I do for other things that require me to have access to things like Blogger, which is on Google's network, or um, things like that. And and those things I'm doing are not for me. So I try to make sure Google has as little to do with me as possible. And that's a choice. It's because I don't like Google. And it's not living in fear. It's I value my privacy. I want... If you're going to dig up stuff about me, I want it to be hard for you. I want it to be as hard as possible. I want it to be challenging. I want you to fucking dig for it. And I have nothing to hide. Um, For next week, actually, I should dig out, well, put online uh, Mm -hmm. and link to it, a document a friend of mine wrote. It's about using search engines properly. Now, I'm very good with Google, mm-hmm. and the reason for this is I know how to word things. <laughs> yeah. It sounds weird, but I'll find stuff on Google quicker than most people. Right. Just because I'm 
I know how the algorithms work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. the order and the actual words you use make a mm-hmm. huge difference. Right. Because if you use non-standard words and phrases, the automatic algorithms won't be messing up your search results. <laughs> But uh, like the friend s- wrote, a friend wrote an article. She's a librarian. Okay. She's an expert on data management. Okay. Um, she wrote an article on all the hidden bits <laughs> that people don't use in search engines. They're not hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who knows computer technology knows they're there. It's just right. the public don't know they're there. You know, like putting things in quotes, plus, mm-hmm. minus... Right. Colons, semicolons, mm-hmm. uh, all these mean things to search engines. Right. So she wrote a lovely article that's um, appeared in a book for medical students, actually, telling them how to use search engines effectively. Oh, you know what I found too. Um, hang on. Um, I'll I'll stick uh, Michael this Morris chat. has said it. Yeah, bullion. Yes. Um, All the search I'll engines work on Boolean algorithms. Oh. And logic gates. Let's stick this in chat. Um, this is pretty interesting. It's all about it's um, I think everybody knows I have a, a high interest in good journalism. So, yeah, I've kind of been trying to teach myself journalism, except I'm a shitty writer. So, um, that's not great for me. I'm a decent news analyst. I'm a shitty writer. But this was really interesting. It was about how you can dig into scholarly journals. And it's all about journal TCOS. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty interesting if you're into that sort of thing. So... Like I said, I, I thought it was interesting because I do have an interest in journalism for a lot of reasons. It's going to be a dead art soon enough. I've only got, yeah. I've only got like four publications I read with any sort of regularity. And everything else is just crap. It's so much crap. You're wading through crap. Yeah. Everything else is just public relations. So, I guess that's it for this evening. Feels like a good stopping point. Advert. Thank you. Advert. Thank you. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Have a nice week. Happy 420.